If you have a Bible, um, I hope you do. If you have a Bible, um, you can turn to Acts chapter 1 today. Um, Acts, the very first chapter. Um, if you need a Bible, you can borrow one from the back table in the back of the room as well. You can actually take that home with you and keep it. Um, that is our gift to you as well as all the other gifts that are back there on that table. All of them free. Please take them home with you. As we uh, begin to uh, study the Word together this morning, Cameron Pickett is going to read our scripture for the day, which is Acts 1, um, starting in verse 6 through 11. So I'd love to invite you to stand with us, if you're able, as we read this and stand together out of reverence for God's word. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. As we uh, dig into this passage today, um, I want to say, first of all, I'm excited to get into this series a week late, a week later than all of you did. Um, last week, um, last Saturday, our second child was born for Rachel and me, our son Cohen. Um, Appreciate that. Um, but he's not uh, the only, he's actually not the only baby that we are celebrating as a church this week. Um, so also, I think just two days ago, um, uh, Andrew and Kaylee Appelt had their daughter Nora was born, um, and everyone is healthy there. Not to mention, that's right, yeah, not to mention just even a few weeks ago, um, Stephen and Rebecca Eccles had baby Wells. Um, and so that is, um, to my knowledge, all the babies that have been born in the last month. Um, as God has grown his church, and not only that, there's still, I know, many um, expecting moms in our church on the way, so just continue to pray for them as we uh, are excited to welcome even more children into uh, the congregation. I'm also grateful for Jeff last week as I called him on uh, Saturday at like, or I didn't, I didn't call him at 3 a.m., but I texted him at 3 a.m. because calling him would be rude, and I said, you should definitely plan on preaching in Canal Winchester tomorrow if you can. And thankfully he could. So um, I was happy that Jeff could come and fill in. As he talked about last week, the book of Acts is um, not really, it's not this thing where Jesus completed his mission and then he leaves and he has the disciples, the apostles begin their mission, right? As it says, even in the beginning of the book of Acts, this is a continuation of what Jesus had begun to do and preach. What we see in the book of Acts, what we see through this whole series, um, as we cover literally 30 years of church history, that's how, much, that's how many uh, years of church history we will cover in the book of Acts. We'll cover geography all the way from Jerusalem to Rome. And we see that God, uh, Jesus doesn't stop ministering, but instead he pulls back personally, but he sends his disciples and sends his spirit with them so that his ministry and his kingdom would continue. That's what we're going to be talking about. There's a lot to cover, which is why we'll be in this series for a long time. And I'm really excited for every single one of those weeks um, but since I missed last week, I'm going to take, you, um, take an opportunity to give you just three things that I want you to be praying with me. Um, these are three things that I, I think God put on my heart about 
um, what I, the fruit that I really want this series to kind of bear and show for us as a church. Um, the first thing is clarity. I really want us, as we go through the book of Acts, I want us to have clarity about our purpose and vision as a church plant to take shape. I, I hope that as we look at the early church, we would look at a kind of where we are and where we're going as a church plant, and we would have greater clarity and a greater understanding of what we're called into. And the next thing is dependence. I really would like it that at the end of this series, um, through the book of Acts, I pray that we would be more dependent on the Spirit and in prayer than we are at the beginning. Really pray that we would be a more prayerful church at the end of it than we are now. And lastly, and honestly, this might be the most important, I want you to have more optimism about the mission and the kingdom of God than you have right now. I think it's really easy for us as a church in our day and age to sit around and be anything but optimistic about what God seems to be doing. And I hope that as we look at what God did at the very beginning of the church, all the obstacles that the early church overcame, all the things that God um, worked through and worked over and above, all the things that he pulled his people through and multiplied his people through, I pray that as we look at all those things, that we right here in our day and age would have way more optimism about everything that we go and bear witness about to God. I pray that we don't miss that as we go through all these things. With all that said, um, I want to pray for us and then we'll dig into these verses. Father God, we are thankful for your faithfulness to us. We're thankful for your faithfulness to the word. And um, we pray now that as we seek to study your word, you would bless it in our minds, that we would understand it clearly. Um, you would increase our faith. Um, you would increase our devotion to our Savior. And Lord, you would increase the worship of our hearts in his name. We pray all of these things according to the power of the Spirit who is in us. Amen. Amen. So these verses, we're going to tackle them in two main chunks. Verse 6, 7, and 8, we're going to talk about the kingdom. And then verse 9, 10, and 11, we're going to talk about the king returning. So 6, 7, and 8, we're going to talk about the kingdom. And then uh, 9, 10, and 11, we'll talk about the king returning. This whole section starts off with this question from the disciples. Verse 6, they come together. So this isn't just one disciple. This isn't just Peter or James or John, like, you know, stepping out from the crowd and asking them, asking Christ on the side, just privately. This is all the disciples seemingly come together because all the disciples have this question on their mind. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus, is this the time when you are going to reestablish our country? Is this the time that you are going to raise the throne of David back up? Is this the time that, that Rome is finally going to be gone? That's what they're asking about. Which is, whenever we read that, we might still, if you're like me, you have a reflex, this gut reaction to judge the disciples really harshly and be like, man, I can't believe they don't get it still. They even saw a man come back from the dead and they still don't get it. They're still so kind of preoccupied with what, um, what these smaller categories they had in their mind for the Messiah and his kingdom. But I think at the same time, we can excuse them because they probably, like if you were in the disciples' position, just put yourself in their shoes for a second. You follow this man for a few years and he does all these miracles. He makes blind people see. He makes lame people walk. He teaches with all this authority. He, does, he, he feeds 5,000 upon 5,000. He does all these things. You would start to think this is the kind of guy that could lead a revolution against Rome, right? Not only that, then he dies and he comes back to life. 
And I think if you had any doubts about his ability to overcome the government of Rome, a man who can conquer death is a man who you are ready to like go and overthrow Rome with, right? That seems like a guy that's ready for the task. So I think, if anything, the disciples probably had even higher expectations about what they thought God was about to do with this Messiah who had conquered death. And so they ask him about Israel. It's really funny because they ask him a yes or no question and Jesus just doesn't give them a yes or no answer. It almost seems like he ignores their question altogether, to be honest. Um, And then he kind of gives them an answer in three parts. I want to talk about each of these parts. The first one is how he says here, read his whole answer. It says, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. That's the first part. Then he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And the last part, you will be my witnesses. So the first thing that Jesus says to them is actually that the question they asked is not for them to ask. The question that they asked is not for them to ask. What they're preoccupied with and worried about is not actually what is supposed to be on their minds. Right away, Jesus redirects them to their actual calling. They're concerned with the times and the seasons. Is this, I think that's a reference to the book of Daniel as it talks about the restoration of the kingdom and it talks about times. And Jesus says, it's not for you to know these times. It's not for you to know all these intricate details and how God is gonna do all these things. No, instead, remember what you're called to. Remember the power that you're going to walk in as you accomplish it. And remember your actual role. And just as a side note, I think it's easy for us to be like the disciples and to worry a whole lot about times and seasons and like the circumstances of our life and how good or bad, how strong or how poor those circumstances seem to be. And we sit around all the time and we ask God and we say, God, what's up with this time and this season? Isn't now the time that you should change things? And God sometimes, his answer is, it's not for you to know quite what I'm doing. It's not quite for you to know the times or the seasons. Instead, remember the promise you've been given. Remember the Savior you've been given. And remember what you're actually called to do. So just a reminder for us, no matter what the times or the seasons look like, whether that's in our lives personally or in our lives as a church and in the culture around us, no matter what the times or the seasons are like, it doesn't change what we're actually supposed to be concerned with, what we're actually supposed to be doing. Jesus says you will be given this mission, but before he reiterates this mission to them and this commission, he reminds them of the power that they're going to walk in, that they're going to walk in the power and the promise of the Holy Spirit, which is a reference to what we talked about last week. And it's almost like, again, he's reminding them that they have to wait, right? Acts chapter one, verse four, he says, you need to wait for the promise of the Father. Don't start this mission, don't start doing this until you've received the promise of the Father, because what you're being called to do is not, it's not something you're able to do without his help. Because the restoration of Israel wasn't the, the scope of the plan, right? Just the, that one nation would be built back up. That's something that you can do through your own power. But what God is talking about here is he's restoring the ends of the earth to himself. It's something that the disciples need more power to do. And not only that, but the the ends of the earth wouldn't be restored to God through the means of Israel, right? Jesus finally corrects their assumption about Israel at the very end. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And whenever he said that, the disciples were probably like, yes, definitely, we got it. 
And then he says Judea, and they're like, cool. And then he says Samaria, and they're like, uh, I don't know about that. And then he says, not only that, to the end of the earth, and that's when they probably would say, what is going on with this plan? What is happening now? So Jesus is saying it's not about Israel, it's not about the restoration of this one kingdom. That's not how God's uh, kingdom is working. It's no longer confined here. And he uses this really precise language. We might not, it might not leap off the page to us, but I think it would have stuck in the minds of the disciples. Um, these these uh, few words of, you will be my witnesses. Um, if you were to turn to Isaiah 43, I think we'll put it on the screen for you here. Um, Isaiah 43, this is one of a few places in the Old Testament where God uses the language speaking to Israel collectively of them being his witness. So Isaiah 43.10 says, You are my witnesses, declares Jehovah, um, declares the Lord, my servant whom I am chosen, that you may know and understand and believe that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. When Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. I think the disciples would have understood what is being said there. That Israel wasn't going to be the witness to the nation any longer. Because the disciples would have rightly understood that the purpose of Israel in the Old Testament was not actually just to be an island for themselves. The purpose of Israel was actually to show what God was like so that other nations would see and be drawn to God. And so the disciples would also know that their uh, nation had failed in that role, which is why Jesus came and taken up that role. And now as Jesus goes back to the Father, he was sending his faithful witnesses out in his place. So that now becomes not Israel, but the church's role to be the witness, to be a witness to the nations, to know God, to understand him, and to make him known. If you want to know our purpose and our, our um, vision, our, our meaning as a church, as a church plant in Maranatha, it is to know God and to make him known. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to be about. Because this is the purpose of the church, to bear witness to the king. As I say that, you might think that's a little strange because after all, Jesus is not saying these words to a church, right? Jesus is not saying this even to a group of pastors. Jesus is saying, you will be my witnesses to the apostles and none of us in this room today, none of us on this planet today are apostles. So how can we say that this is the purpose of the church? See, we are not apostles, but Jesus did give this commission to his apostles and I want, to think, I want you to think about what came next. Right, as, the, as the apostles are given this commission, what do they go and do in order to fulfill it? As they're guided by the Holy Spirit, as they're led by the Holy Spirit, by God himself, in order to go and bear witness to the ends of the earth, what do they do? They go and we see churches being planted here, there, and everywhere. That's the natural outflowing of their commission. Because after all, 11 guys are not going to bear witness to the utter ends of the earth. They bear witness in uh, the empire of Rome, but they, they don't bear witness to the ends of the earth. In order for that to happen, churches need to be planted. And not only that, I, I, I want us to see that this is, um, I think this is the first really important thing for us in the book of Acts. I, I, I really think that this has to sink into our minds and it changes the way that we think about the local church. The local church, where you are today, is not an accident in God's plan. So the church didn't just like, it didn't just start happening, right? God didn't tell the apostles to do this and then all of a sudden they started planting churches and then God was like, oh no, what are they doing? I better find out like how to, 
like use this thing that they created called the church. No, instead, the plan of God all along was for the church, local churches to be planted so that his universal church would be built up. And so, while the, the local church is not the entirety of the kingdom of God, we have to understand that it is a vital piece of the kingdom of God. The church is not the entirety of the kingdom of God, but it is a vital piece of the kingdom of God. It's something that is, um, it can't be removed, and the kingdom of God would not look the same. So that means that you today in Canal Winchester, 2,000 years later, right, you're not here with the disciples, you're not here with Christ at this place at this time that we're reading, but you, 2,000 years later in Canal Winchester, Ohio, you are a continuation of the very words of Jesus Christ in this text. Again, it's not an accident or an offshoot. That's why the local church matters, because the local church is God's plan of bringing the nations to himself. The local church is God's global plan. And we should just stop and be thankful for that privilege. Like that we would be a part of the plan of God, the plan of Christ, to bear witness to his name to the ends of the earth. That we would be welcomed into that. That means that as we gather to worship, we're not just gathering to hang out. We're not just gathering to hear some music that's um, good or great or anything like that. We're not just gathering to hear somebody talk for a while. We're not just gathering to shake hands and say hi to one another. We are a part of a kingdom that's been at work for thousands of years. And the work that we do with and among one another is a continuation of that. And that's why investment in a biblical church is part of being a worker of the kingdom of God. It's something that you can't do without. I, I, I think that so often we just, we have an attitude in our culture today that is very um, low on the church, and I think in some ways you can, you can certainly get it wrong. You can emphasize the church in a wrong way, so I don't want to pretend that like that can't happen. Um, but this is, um, this is where God has told his people to work. Like, this is the, the field that we're supposed to go out and plow in. This is the field we're supposed to go out and farm in. This is where God expects fruit to be seen, is in churches that are preaching the gospel to the nations. And so investment in the church through our, our time, through our effort, through bringing our gifts, not just to the institution of the church. When, when I talk about bringing um, your gifts and serving God with your gifts at church, I'm not just talking about whether or not you can sing or whether or not you can greet people at the front door, or whether or not you're good with kids or anything like that. I'm talking about whether or not you and I bring our actual, our skills, our gifts to one another in the room. Like, do we actually serve one another, the person next to us in the pew? Do we actually serve them with what we have? Do we actually bear them up when they're struggling? Do we actually encourage them when they're burdened? Do we actually do those things? That's investment in the local church. It's not simply do you serve on the connect team twice a month. This is the kingdom that we've been brought into and we've been called witnesses of. A global kingdom. It started with 11 guys here in Acts chapter 1 and now it's on every continent and we're sitting here 2,000 years later as a part of it. It goes on here after Jesus says all these things in verse 9. It says that when he had said these things as they were looking at him, so Jesus didn't just vanish. No, they saw him ascend. And while they were seeing him ascend, they, um, these two men in white robes, angels, come and speak to them and say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. 
So Christ ascends and leaves his disciples probably pretty speechless, just looking up at the sky. Whenever I read that, it reads to me like um, the angels had to sort of like, like give him some smelling salts or something, like snap at him a little bit, like, hey guys, wake up, what are you doing? Why are you just staring, jaws on the floor, looking up in the sky? So Jesus then ascends back to the Father, and the disciples are probably just wondering what's going to happen next, probably feeling a little bit confused and not sure um, exactly where things are going to go. And as we think about Christ ascending, there's two things, that, or, or there's one really important piece of it that I want us to understand, and that is that Christ ascended not to abandon his church, but to help it. Christ ascended not to abandon his church, but to help it. It can feel like abandonment, because after all, he's not here, right? He's not here bodily, but he didn't ascend to leave his church behind. He ascended to help us, and he helps us in two main ways. The first is, as he says in John chapter 16, unless he goes, he cannot send the Spirit. So he, he leaves in order to send the Helper to us. It's the first way that he helps us. He gives us the Holy Spirit. But secondly, he ascended in order to reign over all things. Jesus did not, we need to have a, a our picture of Jesus right now in our minds cannot just be that he ascended in order to relax until he returns again. Instead, Jesus ascended to take his place at the right hand of God, which is the place where someone reigns and rules from. It's where the king sits, not passively, but actively. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll read this uh, passage together. 1 Corinthians is just, just go past the book of Romans, which is the next book in your Bible. You'll be in 1 Corinthians, and then you'll get to uh, chapter 15, and we'll start reading in verse 20 in just a second. Uh, but this passage is one of a few passages that really clearly lay out the reign of Christ and what he is doing right now, what period of history you and I are sitting in. It says this in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, and then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. Amen. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Should have zero in on a few really important words in uh, verse 25. He must reign until. Jesus must reign until. So this passage is not teaching us that Jesus is hopefully reigning one day in the future. This passage is not teaching us that we ought to look forward to the day when he finally gets his throne. This passage is not telling us that one day, um, hopefully, all his enemies will be put under his feet. And it doesn't even say that one day he will begin to reign. It says that he is reigning now and he must reign until. Right? To do something until, you have to be doing it currently. Right? So he must reign until all his enemies are put under his feet. So from between his resurrection and ascension until he comes again, that's what Christ is doing. His kingdom has come and he is ruling over it. So the church is not left alone right now. Instead, the, the groom, the bridegroom of the church has just taken his throne, right? 
So Jesus will come again, but he reigns now. This is why we call this series Kingdom Come. Right? Not that kingdom that will come, but kingdom come. Because Jesus, in his earthly ministry, had begun and inaugurated his kingdom. And now he was giving the keys of that kingdom to his disciples and to his people. As he would also give them power to take that kingdom to the end of the earth. And so you and I today, I don't want you to have a perception of the church, of the people of God, that we are just kind of sitting around and wishfully thinking and hoping that one day a kingdom will begin. That's not the position you are at as the church. We're not just waiting and looking forward and longing for the day that hopefully our king gets the throne. Instead, today, right now, you should view yourself as, witness, as a witness to the kingdom that is already reigning. You should view yourself as a witness to the kingdom that is already ruling and reigning. And that one day that kingdom will be fully built, constructed, and delivered to the Father. Because Jesus ascended not only to reign, but to return, as the angels said. So this is not some kind of building project in the kingdom that Jesus um, began without an end date. Right? This isn't like when you go to remodel your kitchen and you say it'll take three weeks and then on week 33, you're really regretting your decision. This isn't like kids whenever you're in the car with your parents and you ask them how much longer it'll be and they say five more minutes and then you ask them in five minutes and they say five more minutes. It's not like that at all. The dates are not moving backward. It's perfectly planned and it's being perfectly executed. And so that should encourage us right there. But it should also encourage us to think about the end date. The glorious finale of this kingdom when every enemy is removed when at the last one's defeat the kingdom will have been established and pressed to the corners of the earth where every inch of creation will know the king as it says even in the book of Habakkuk that the knowledge of the Lord that the, the earth will be as full with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea that's the end goal that God is working towards, where death itself will be finally and fully gone. And this is our great hope, is that Christ will not leave you and me staring up at the heavens. Christ doesn't leave his church longingly staring up at the sky. This is why that promise from the angels is so important, that Christ will come again. Christ will come. Again, I know that's one of the basics of our faith, so as we say it out loud, it doesn't sound remarkable to us maybe, but it is. Christ will come again. When you or I are scared or tired, I want that truth to encourage us from despair. All right, when you or I are concerned with times and seasons, when we are worried about where our life is or where it's going, when we are worried about where our city or our country or our culture is and where it's going, I want us to stop and remember we have a king who is coming again. When you are timid and fearful and afraid to tell someone about Christ, to afraid to even tell them that you went to church yesterday, right? But afraid to even tell them that because you don't know how they're going to receive it. You don't know what they're going to do. If they're going to reject you, I want you to be um, emboldened out of that fear by the simple fact that you have a king who is coming again. You have a king who is coming again. When you or I are 
apathetic, and we're not really caring about the kingdom of God, when we're living in disobedience to him, I pray that that truth, that he will return, will bring us out of our apathy, our disobedience, and our um, complacency. Because you have a king who came once, and he set you free from the kingdom of sin, death, and the devil. In his body on the cross, Jesus Christ took the entire curse of all the wrath of God due for sin, and he did all of that so that you would no longer be a citizen of the kingdom of sin and death and the devil. He crushed every ounce of all of that condemnation so that you could be set free from that and made a citizen in his new kingdom. And all of that by faith and not by works. All of that by simple trust in Jesus Christ, a reliance upon what he has already done and not what you or I could ever do. And that king not only came once and set us free, but that king has ascended, but he isn't stopping there. He will return again. He will return again, and he reigns now. That's the one thing that we must remember, that the king is not waiting to reign, but reigning now. And you and I, as his local church, get the privilege of bearing witness to that fact. But that work is done not by our might, but by the power of the Spirit working through us, which is why we are dependent, like the apostles, on the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. For Jesus' kingdom has come, and it will um, continue to arrive as he saves more and more sinners through the preaching of the gospel. But listen, you don't only have work to do as Christ's witness, you also have a promise you've received. You don't only have work to do as Christ's witness, you have a promise that you have received. Jesus Christ has gone, but he will come again. So every ounce of the suffering of your life, every ounce of the the heartache and the heartbreak and the loss and the confusion and the trial and the insecurity and um, everything that we could fill in that blank with, You have a promise that he will come again. All of those things will be righted. Not one of them will be left um, unsolved. Not one of them will be left unredeemed. Not one ounce of injustice in this entire universe ever will be unjudged or forgotten about. And you will get to live with this perfect king in his perfect kingdom forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, you are kind and patient. You are abundant in steadfast love, and we are thankful that, uh, Lord, that even though the, the grass withers and the flower fades, that your word remains forever, that your word abides forever. And I pray that we would be people who are truly anchored by you, truly anchored by your word, that your spirit would guide us, teach us, um, drive us into mission Um, and drive us into obedience of our Savior, and we look forward to his soon return. And we look forward to his return when all of these things in every single way will be set right. We pray all this in his name. Amen.